Years ago, I learned a very valuable lesson when we were on a, uh, a missions trip to Mexico to build houses. I learned this, that when you play soccer and there's no lines, it's very frustrating. Because non-soccer players like me, we need all the help we can get. And yet, there was no agreement on where the lines were. And it became very unfun very fast. And we stopped playing soccer in favor of something more agreeable and fair, if you will, right? And, um, you know, I think there is a quote here that might sum it up. Uh, Freedom knows no limits. If it is limited, it should not be called freedom. Now, lines represent limits, right, in soccer. And yet someone would say, well, wait a second, freedom knows no limits. If it's limited, it can't be called freedom. That is a lie. Freedom without limits is just a word. So, if I told you that there is a brand of freedom for you, a biblical brand of freedom that leads you well, to slavery. Would you think I was crazy? Because that's what I'm here to tell you this morning. What do I mean by that? Glad you asked. Jeff Bethke says this, we are chasing freedom, yet becoming slaves. My guess is that this is because we have a wrong elementary view of freedom. True freedom has inherent restraint, boundaries, bumpers, and limits. But limits is the 21st century swear word. Charles Durig, in his book, The Power of Habit, he writes, when a habit is formed, the brain stops fully participating in decision-making. Let me read that again. When a habit is formed, the brain stops fully participating in decision-making. This means that the habits that we form are very important as it relates to some kind of inherent restraint on our freedom. One philosopher uh, wrote a book, and he said, uh, the book is called You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. Uh, And he talks about the habits that we play out day after day are not tangential to our worship. They're not separate from our worship, but they're actually central to it. We become our habits. And yet, maybe you decided to make a New Year's resolution to create a new or better habit or to stop a bad habit. Maybe habits are on your mind. And all these things, as far as freedom that we're going to talk about this morning, really come back to a habit. Even when I sense everything in my life getting out of control, even when my life is quote-unquote scattered or busy, I must resist any rules that would restrict technology use, work schedules, my pleasure, or comfort. This is the idea of the world. It says, no, if you put any limits on, it's not freedom. But this is a lie. To limit myself is to restrict my freedom, is what they would say. And I'm not fully human without my freedom of choice in every moment. The good life comes from choosing what you want when you want it. I get what I want, whenever I want, whatever I want, whenever I want. The American brand of freedom 
I think is what I would call it. It goes past what the writers of the Constitution were thinking. It's total and utter rejection of authority. And it also contains the idea that if I life hack or somehow cheat the consequences everyone else experiences, then I can just keep acting this way. It is um, Justin Whitmill Early who writes this book, and he writes about a freedom liturgy. Now, a liturgy is a pattern of words or actions repeated regularly as a way of worship. Um, he would say that our collection of habits is our liturgy. So he talks about the freedom liturgy is so dangerous because it perpetuates the slavery to all other habits. It doesn't actually produce freedom. We think by rejecting any limits on our habits, we remain free to choose. But actually, by barraging ourselves with so many choices, we get so decision fatigued that we're unable to choose anything well. You know when you're going out to lunch with your friends and they're like, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? That's what I mean. Completely decision fatigued. And when we act out the no limits, none ever freedom liturgy, we assume that the good life comes from having the freedom to do whatever we want. So to ensure the good life, we have, the, have to ensure our ability to choose in each moment. I am challenging the cultural understanding that you have of freedom this morning. And when we get that tired and exhausted and worn down from all the thousands of messages that we're scrolling through every day and how overwhelmed we feel about our schedule and everything else, what do we do? Well, we, we become extremely susceptible to letting others make our decisions for us. Well, you just choose. Well, who are we letting choose? I would say manip manipulative bosses. Let's start there. Invisible smartphone programmers. Their whole goal is to have you spend more minutes on your phone. They are actively working against you to make sure that they gobble up as much time as possible. Controlling friends, family, coworkers, circumstances. We allow other people and things to dictate how we live our life. That is slavery. That is not freedom. The other danger in this false thinking is that we can't see what the good life really looks like. But what if the good life, what if the good life doesn't come from having the ability to do whatever we want, but having the ability to do what we were made for? What if true freedom comes from choosing the right limitations, not avoiding all limitations? Because God's truth is this, right limits create true freedom. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Pete's, I can never say his last name, Scazzaro, great writer, wrote a book called The Emotionally, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, as well as The Emotionally Healthy Leader, both great books. He's got a whole bunch, he's even got one that's called, I think, The Emotionally Healthy Woman. Great, great stuff. If you're looking for something in this new year to point you toward healthy living, Pete's got some great stuff. 
But he said this, we find God's will for our lives in our limitations. Guys, you don't hear this very often. I am swimming so hard upstream to tell you these things. So we're in this Rhythms Reboot for January, talking about some of these spiritual rhythms. We did a series two years ago, and much of this is from that series. But just a reminder that we need to remember, we need to recall, and then we need to contend for the right things. And so um, that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about freedom. We're talking about limits. And uh, spoiler alert, Jesus is our example of laying down our rights and our freedom for the sake of for those, of those that we love. And I want to challenge you this morning to embrace some self-imposed limits, not rules or laws that Andrew comes up with and gives you that's on top of the Bible, but something that you would say, you know what, for the sake of being healthy, these are the things that I'm, I'm willing to submit myself to. And then I'll give you one tangible way at the end that we can begin to exercise this, these boundaries in our physical life because we're completely integrated people. Now, there is no one who surrendered more freedom than Jesus. He leaves heaven. He's the the all-powerful second member of the Trinity, and he leaves heaven, and he inhabits a helpless baby who can't speak. The one who spoke creation into being doesn't even know how to speak a word. He submits himself, and and he humbles himself. The Bible describes it this way in Philippians 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So there's no one who surrendered more freedom than Jesus. He is our example, and we follow him. Now, Jesus becomes a human. He becomes a poor human. He becomes a homeless human, a human who loved us so much that that power became a threat to those in power, and they tortured and killed him. And Jesus allowed them to put him to death. No one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down, he says. So the life giver of the universe submits himself to an agonizing death on the cross on our behalf. Why did he do this? For love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. Because he loves you and me. So by surrendering his freedom for the sake of love, Jesus gives us the right or the ability to become sons and daughters of God, John 1 says. To be adopted by God, to be reconciled with him. Jesus does the exact opposite of Adam and Eve, those first parents that we had. So Jesus, the limitless one, chooses to live within boundaries and limits for the sake of love. Adam and Eve, they tried to become like God, limitless, and in trying to free ourselves from our own limitations, 
themselves, they brought the ultimate limitation of death into the world. When we try to live without limits, we play the role or part of God. I'm fine. I'll be fine. It'll work out. We think we're being optimistic, but we're just being naive. And so, the way to victory is through surrender. The way to freedom is through submission. What do we do with that submission? Well, Paul would say, we're called to be free in Galatians 5, but don't use your freedom to just basically do all the stuff for yourself. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. It was Jesus' command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. So the higher calling in freedom is to use your freedom to serve and love others. So boundaries and limits are absolutely critical if we're going to love others and not just be self-absorbed. We're called and commissioned as Jesus followers to help bring people into healing, into salvation, and in what the Bible would call shalom peace. So we have a role to play. So these rhythms that we're talking about, that we're studying, they're the boundaries and limits to help us love others, not just to have a bunch of rules. What if we are able to begin to change small things about how we live so that we can line up with a more godly rhythm or a lifestyle that would actually love people more and more. That's what I want to do. And I think it's possible, and I think it starts with small little decisions that lead to habits. Here's the peculiar truth. What forms our identities are the million tiny micro-sized actions we do every day without realizing it or thinking about it. We are the sum of our habits. And habits are less about doing something and more about loving something. There's a book called The Atomic Habit out there that was, has been very popular for the last couple of years, and I think it would kind of back this up from a kind of a more secular view. Let me give you an example. How many people sleep with your phone on your nightstand? I do. Anybody else? Okay. Great. There's a couple of reasons why you might do that, right? You might just have it there because you use it as your alarm, and it charges there, and you put it on Do Not Disturb. Please do that at night, by the way. Whatever's going on, you don't need to know where you're sleeping. We'll get to that in a minute. But some, maybe not you, but some are not putting it there for their alarm. They put it there because they love their phone. And it taps into deeper longings for belonging, significance, staying connected to others, entertainment, or missing out on something, or the fear of missing out on something. You see, for many people, and maybe not you, of course, it's other people, whoever those other people are, <laughs> access to the phone taps into the spigot of our desires, our drives, and our fears. And our lack of boundaries and limits with our devices oftentimes tells us there's something going on in here, not 
right here. So, when we talk about habits, these small things, let's start small, right? So, we're going to talk about routine, habit, ritual. What's routine? Tying your shoe. Repeated mundane behaviors. Great. I bet you tying your shoes, very helpful. <laughs> habits. Repeated actions that go deeper than routine because they tap into desires, drives, and loves. They're difficult to give up, whether they're good or bad. That's what we're talking about. But perhaps with prolonged habits could become a ritual. What do I mean by ritual? Habits of meaning a repeatable action that draws us into a sacred moment. My friend Catherine Redmond shared some months ago that the Lord really challenged her to begin kneeling in prayer. That's a repeated habit for her. Now she probably, like her knees are like, I need to kneel. I need to do it. And it's become something of great meaning, this repeated action, right? That's my prayer that we would begin with something small, like a habit, and let it grow into something really beautiful and abiding, like a ritual. And since our lives are collections of habits, as they say, what if we began shifting our actions so that we could create good habits that lead us to love, that with time could even be rituals that create more sacred moments? This is where our old dead relatives come into play. Well, at least my old dead relatives, maybe yours too. So let's talk about the rule of life. The ancient monastic fathers, monk guys, like to hang out by themselves, sing crazy songs. They created these repeated patterns of doing things and behaviors, and they these behaviors were created to be able to shape their hearts and begin to, to take on real deep spiritual meaning. So they called it their rule of life. Now you might, wait a second, I thought we were not doing rules. Well, hold on. So rule is just, it's regular from the, from the Latin. It, it's, it, this is, in this case, it's a pattern of communal habits. These are the things we do at 10 a.m. all together. We pray or and then we go and we serve the poor and we do these things and we do these things all together so that we grow in love for one another and, and, and we get more aligned with God. So this is not about obeying the rules. It's about a shared experience that bonds these guys together and helps them live out what God has called them to, right? So like these guys, Augustine and Benedict, both have rules of, of life, both have to do specifically about loving God and loving your neighbor. Not about looking holy, not about a bunch of rules. It's like, we want to do these things so we love others better, right? I want to drive more safely on the freeway so I can love others better. That's a, what would be a more modern part of my rule, right? So both these guys see habits as like the gears or levers that you would pull in which to direct your life to more purpose, direct in that life of love vertically and horizontally. So that same word um, is irregular. Is, it's associated with a trellis. So it's just a framework uh, that a plant can grow on. 
And it brings order from the chaos of a plant growing wildly without any structure. Now, someone like Dave, who's a master gardener, would say, that's really helpful depending upon what the plant is. Otherwise, that thing is, it's, it's going to be everywhere. It's going to make a, it's going to have a huge problem. But you put a trellis up, you can train it to begin to have some form and structure. So what would a modern rule of life look like? Because we don't have to be, you know, dead for hundreds of years to have this. A modern rule of life, a great book. And there's a website, so if you don't want to read the book, that's okay. Thecommonrule.org. And this is uh, Justin Whitmull Early. I've quoted him a couple times this morning. He wrote this great book. He was burning out. And he decided to put together a structure with the help of his friends that became his rule of life. You want to interact with this material I would highly recommend the website. Now, let me show you one, one piece of this so that you can get an idea. Because this is what I'm suggesting that you consider this morning. So he has habits. He has daily habits and he has weekly habits. His daily habits are kneeling in prayer three times a day. Eating one meal with others. Why? Because generally, as Americans, we don't eat very many meals together and we miss out on that relationship that's so vital. One hour with his phone off. Some of you are like, my world would end, but it won't. Do not disturb is what's called. Scripture before phone is one of his other things, that he wants to make sure that he reads something from the scriptures before he looks at his phone. You might say, oh, Justin, you are so legalistic. Or you might say, Justin, you're really intentional. You're you're trying to put those self-imposed things in so that you can build those habits, and then you're going to have life to the fullest. Weekly habits. For him, it's one hour of conversation with a friend. Why? Because we oftentimes live our life in isolation, and we need to seek someone out for conversation. Curate media to four hours. This means that he wants to make sure that all of his media time, TV, movies, Netflix, surfing the internet, social media, all goes down to four hours a week. Some of you are like, I would die, but you wouldn't. For him, he just says, this is helpful for me because that ends up becoming a lot of noise that leads me the wrong direction. Third, fast from something for 24 hours. In the early church, Disciples, new learners of how to walk with Jesus, would fast Wednesday and Friday every week. It was just what you learned. This is what we do. Okay, great. Nobody's like, but I'll die. No, you won't. You'll be okay. Sabbath. We talked about this last week. If you missed last week, you can go back and listen to it on YouTube. Taking one 24-hour period off and really resting and becoming more centered on Jesus again. So this is a more modern rule of life. And I'm ch- I want to challenge you this morning as you leave here in a few minutes, what will you put into your life as a rule of life that will help you build these habits, move to more of a place of love for God and love for others, where you could begin to take habits and turn them into rituals? So, I want to tell you a story. This guy, Orison 
Sweet Marden. He wrote, uh, I've got it here, over 50 books. And he, uh, he put out a, a magazine called Success Magazine. Doesn't that sound like, I've got to read Success Magazine so I can be successful. Now, mind you, this is the 1800s, and maybe things look different then. And for one particular writing project, he set out to discover and interview a giant of his day and ask the secret behind this person's impact on the world. And one of his first questions about this man's untiring energy and phenomenal endurance, the man answered and said he had worked an average of 20 hours per day for the last 15 years. He was 47 years old at the time, and he joked that he had worked as much as an 82-year-old. This man thought work and productivity were so important, he made it one of his missions to kill the thing that stood most in the way, sleep. He hated sleep. And he called it a heritage from our cave days, a wasteful holdover from history. Sleep the thing that you love so much, and so do I. Who was this man who hated sleep so much, who was an obscene workaholic almost certainly to the detriment of his own health? It's the very person who gets credit for, but I would argue perhaps he wasn't the one that really invented this, made it his mission to create and invent things that would help him cheat the thing that he hated, sleep. His name is Thomas Edison, inventor of many things, but most notably the light bulb. In 1879, our culture made a trade-off. It couldn't have understood what it was doing at that point. And Edison believed that this would take us out of the cave days, even, even said that it would make us more intelligent. Perhaps this is why we say that somebody who's got a bright idea or there's a light bulb above their head, Right? In fact, he even went on to say that when he went to places like Switzerland where they, had, where they had light, people were very brilliant. But when he went to other places, the natives went to bed with the chickens, staying there until daylight, and they were far less intelligent. I'm ruining Edison for you, sorry. So he's now famous for the light bulb, but this has been disrupting our sleep for 145 years. And we've used it to cheat ourselves out of the rest that we need as we hustle and push past boundaries and limits that would be healthy for us. So as we create new and healthy rhythms, boundaries, and limits, there's also some physical things to this, right? We've been talking about the spiritual and emotional and mental, and I just want to end with one physical aspect, because we are integrated people, mind, body, spirit. And our pursuit of Jesus isn't just about our spiritual life. It's also about honoring God with our body. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this, honoring God with our bodies. He talks about our sexuality and our eating habits. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, you received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So how are you doing honoring God with your body. And as we think about habits that would lead to rituals that would lead you to a place of loving God and loving others better, let's look at one physical area. Yep, you guessed it. 
That very thing that light bulbs seem to steal from us, sleep. Now, let's take Jesus first of all. Jesus was a champion sleeper. Champion. How do I know that? Mark 4, big storm. Everybody's afraid that they're going to die. Jesus, Jesus, you got to wake up. We're going to die. He's like so sound asleep. He's like, what? What are we doing here? Not a care in the world. Jesus knows how to sleep. If Jesus knows how to sleep, I think I would submit to you, I think we can too. Why do I think that? Well, verses like this. Psalm 4, verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I'm going to trust Him for my safety even as I sleep. Proverbs 3, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Y'all know that sometimes when you lie down, that's the time when you are the most afraid for lots of reasons. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet, having no fear of sudden disaster. For the Lord will be your confidence. What about Solomon says this in, in Psalm 127? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand and guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But he grants sleep to those he loves. So what rhythms have you created around your sleep? Wait a second, I thought this was a sermon. Uh, why are you messing with my sleep schedule? Because we're integrated people, and this is one of the ways that we honor God with our body. It's an example of how we begin to think about a rule of life or things that are self-imposed guidelines that will help us become more healthy. I did, um, I did a, uh, was it called a master class, I think. You know, watch the little videos online and they talk to you and you feel very smart. With this guy, uh, Matthew Walker. He's at uh, University of California, Berkeley. Very interesting. And I learned a lot about sleep. And it is what I think about every single day. I think about the things that I learned from a scientific standpoint because they're just showing how God has created our body, right? So just a couple quick facts to help you consider perhaps how you will put a rule of life around your sleep life. Um, he says that the aim is to go seven to nine hours a night. How many people feel like you consistently get that? Raise your hand. All right, there's some champion sleepers in here. Well, we don't, need to, we don't need to do this part of the sermon, I guess. No, the people online, you guys need to hear it, so we'll just do it for you. Um, if you're not sleeping enough, what does it do? Well, first of all, it affects your memory. In deep sleep, one of the things that happen is your brain, it, it, God's just done an amazing job creating us. It shifts the short-term memory into long-term storage so that you will to be able to re retain those things. So if you're not sleeping enough, guess one of the first things that goes? Your memory. Some of you are having memory issues recently, and it's because you're not sleeping. It's not because you actually have memory issues. But studies do continue to show that a lack of sleep contributes to memory decline as we age in Alzheimer's and dementia. You want to stay away from those two things? Sleep seven and nine. Sleep... Um, it's amazing how just at um, daylight savings time, one day a year, how just one hour shift for all these billions of people, in the spring, you have a 24% increase in heart attacks just that day. And in the fall, you have a 21% decrease of heart attacks. There is an effect on your cardiovascular system. 
It's the same as car accidents. Uh, judges' rulings are harsher when you spring forward versus when you fall back. It's all suicide rate that's all correlated to losing one hour of sleep. Your immune system. When you sleep, this is when your body, like God just like supercharges your immune system. If you're not sleeping, you're going to be sick more often. So if you reduce down to, let's say, four hours of sleep, you're 70% reduced in your natural killer cells that do this stuff. By the way, short sleep has also been tied to cancer. Genes are affected. Six hours of sleep versus eight hours of sleep, 711 genes were distorted. That's crazy, right? This means tumor production goes way up, inflammation goes way up, cardiovascular disease. So it's interesting, uh, you know, what the Lord wants for us is health and life to the fullest. And yet sometimes we sabotage ourselves by not creating a rule of life around something this simple. So, some of the things you need to think about, I'm not going to make a long list, you can just Google it, but be careful with alcohol and caffeine use, because that greatly affects your sleep. Don't take naps during the day. I know, I know, I know. Go to bed and get up at the same time regularly. But I love sleeping on and on the weekends. Great, it's going to mess up your sleep schedule. Just telling you, just fair warning, you do you. And blue light. Probably most of you know this, but at least an hour before bed, turn your phone, your iPads, your screens off. You're messing up my life, man. No, it's, it's your choice. You want to sleep bad, it's, it's cool. Matthew Walker says, sleep is not an option, it's a biological necessity. And I believe that when you are sleeping regularly, God also meets you in your dreams. So pay attention to your dreams. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I'm not sleeping at night because it's not because of blue light. It's not because of those other things, Andrew. I have a lot going on in here. Great. That means that you need to come and let us pray with you for whatever is keeping you up at night because there are things that keep you up at night. But many of you are so resistant to ask someone to pray for you because you feel like you'll be embarrassed or you think everybody else has this down. They don't. We don't. We can relate to you and we want to walk with you and we want to see you get free because that stuff that gets you stuck and keeping you from sleeping, God has healing for that. I need to land this plane. Um, when you think about sleeping, I think you need to think about praying the very best last thing to do, I believe, right before you go to sleep, is to pray. That's a shocker. Pastors tell me to pray. Oftentimes, it's the last thing we do. We're checking to make sure that who's going to be healthy for the football game, for our fantasy team or whatever the next morning. We're checking on the weather, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But let's set our mind on things above. Now, these are two prayers that I found, um, and I just put them on the screen for you to kind of take a look at. You can find something like this on the internet, put it on your phone, and you can just pray this prayer. 2024 is the year of learning how to pray, and for some of you, learning how to pray out loud and help you understand that no one's waiting to judge you on whether you pray pretty or not. And so one of the ways you learn to pray is by praying someone else's prayer. 
But wait a second, that's, that's just tradition without any meaning. Well, if you want it to be tradition without any meaning, you can dumb it down and make it bad. But I'm going to put everything in this because I believe that this is my heart's cry. So pick a prayer that works for you, right? There's a bunch of Celtic prayers for sleep that are beautiful. But here's two. I want to challenge you this morning to think about freedom. I just took a lot of minutes trying to convince you that the American version of freedom is not God's version. And especially coming off of this crazy global pandemic thing, like we just think that like we've gone through so much, we just need to say yes. I just keep saying yes to cookies and desserts and all kinds of things. You know what? I've had a hard decade. Just gonna like just kind of try to keep putting it on there, right? Anybody relate to me? Sometimes your your silence is deafening. I'm just here to tell you. They're like, oh, look at him. Bless his heart. We just need to be cognizant of the fact that we're trying to self-soothe and comfort ourselves because we've had a hard decade. You have had a hard decade. Let us pray with you and let's start establishing a, a more healthy rule of life, these limits and boundaries that will help us move from good habits to really significant ritual. That, I believe, is what life to the fullest looks like. Why don't you stand? Prayer folks, if you'd come forward. Um, I, just, I just believe that God is with you, and He's going to help you. And if you're willing to just pull your journal out, or just a napkin over lunch, and just come up with what's like two or three things you could do every day and every week that are doable, smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, help me, realistic and time-bound, Right? This is important, right? Don't say, I'm going to spend three hours studying the Greek text of the New Testament every day, because that's not going to happen, right? Pick something that will be a small thing that you could repeat that will become something beautiful, all right? Sing this with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So Jesus, help us as we seek to find balance, limits, boundaries that are from you and not self-imposed, not some crazy religious thing, but fully coming out of relationship. So I bless my friends in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. We'll see you next week.